We're going to look at Romans uh, chapter 8. Our um, assistant pastor Jeremiah, when he was here, preached in Romans 7, so we're just going to pick up where he left off, and we're going to look at Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to start reading from chapter 7, verse 21, and that is on page 944 of the Church Bibles. Paul writes, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirits is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirits if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit, who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. 
Let me lead us in prayer. Father, we thank you that in your word, you teach us who we are now if we believe in Jesus. So please give us ears to hear and help us to believe what you say. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 8 begins with one of the best verses in the Bible. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It ends with another all-time favorite. Nothing in all creation will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This chapter is considered to be one of the mountain peaks of Scripture, and it's the best chapter in one of the best books of the Bible. And if the letter to the Romans are the Himalayas, this chapter is Mount Everest. It begins with no condemnation, and it ends with no separation. And there's not a single imperative in the entire chapter, not a single command. This is a chapter full of promises and assurances. It's not a chapter that tells us what to do. It's a chapter that tells us who we are. The closest you get to an imperative are verses 12 and 13. And Paul says in verse 12, So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. So Paul informs us that we do have an obligation, and we're obligated to live a certain way. And verse 13, Paul says, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So there is, in fact, something we're expected to be doing, and we're expected to be in a fight to the death. It's kill or be killed. And if we're not killing sin, then sin will be killing us. That's what Paul says in verse 13. But notice, even those verses, strictly speaking, are not commands. Verse 12, he says, you are debtors. You are something already. He doesn't say you must become. He simply says, you are. So even in these verses, Paul is simply telling us who we are. And if you're a Christian, you're a soldier, and you're already enlisted in the fight against sin. Paul assumes that. He assumes that every Christian who has the Spirit is putting to death the misdeeds of the body. So this text uh, is not a call to join the fight against sin. It's an encouragement to those who are already in it. And I love the way that Paul encourages Christians who are in the fight against sin. Paul speaks with the words of the Spirit, and he doesn't make Christians feel bad about themselves. That's what accountability groups are for. Sorry if you're in one, but they're usually a miserable experience. The Spirit doesn't do that. His words are full of grace, and he gives us strength for the fight. And when we fall, and all of us will fall, he picks us up and puts us back on our feet and reminds us of who we are in Christ. When we cry out with Paul, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The Spirit shouts back words of assurance, and he gives us strength for the fight. 
And the first thing he says is this. You are not condemned. God will not hold it against you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And just think about that for a moment. What would you say to someone who keeps messing up and never gets it right and often falls flat on his face? That is, by the way, the story of every Christian's life. It's the story of Paul in Romans chapter 7. So what would you say to someone like that? Well, notice what the Spirit doesn't say. He doesn't say, try harder, or what's wrong with you. What he says is, I forgive you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And maybe some of us will say, um, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know how many times I've made the same mistake again and again. Maybe you lost patience with someone you love. Maybe you failed to stand up for the teaching of Jesus. Maybe you're anxious when Jesus says, don't be. Maybe you've had a really bad week. Well, God alone has the right to condemn. And he says, there is no condemnation. Verses 2 and 3 tell us how it works. And we're going to cover this quickly because we have a lot of ground to cover. But verses 2 and 3 tell us how it works. And verse 2, the spirit of life sets you free from the penalty you deserve, the penalty demanded by the law. And he's able to do that because, verse 3, God sent his own son to be condemned in our place. Uh, This is ground that Paul has covered before, which is why we're going through it quickly. What he adds in chapter 8 is the work of the Spirit. And the Spirit's work, verse 2, is to take what Jesus did on the cross and apply it specifically to you, to those who trust in Jesus. That's the work of the Spirit, to put you in Jesus, so to speak, so that his work applies to you. So how is it possible that Christians are never condemned? How could a holy God, a God who never forgets, a God who searches hearts, how could he forgive me again? The answer is, he dealt with it by sending his son. Jesus became one of us so that he could die as one of us, and he paid for our sin. And that's why you're free if you are trusting in Jesus. The God who never forgets remembers your sin no more. So what do you say to someone who keeps messing up? If you're a Christian, you're in the fight against sin, and you will fall, and you will hate those failures. You might even be tormented by them. So what do you say to someone who keeps falling on his face? Well, this is what God says to those who are in Christ. I forgive you. It's over. I've forgotten about it, so you forget about it. And if you mess up again tomorrow, just come back tomorrow, and he'll say the same thing. I forgive you. It's over. Now get back in the fight. And he will say that as many times as you mess up, because Jesus dealt with it. He was condemned so that we can have, verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
That's how the Spirit gets us back in the fight. It's grace that gives us strength. Now, in the next paragraph, uh, Paul describes two different kinds of people, and you see them there in verse 4. People who walk according to the flesh and people who walk according to the Spirit. And verse 5, those who live according to the flesh want whatever the flesh wants. They set their minds on the things of the flesh. And those who live according to the Spirit want whatever the Spirit wants. They set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And Paul is describing the Christian and the non-Christian, the one who is in the Spirit and the one who is in the flesh. And it's easy to miss the point of these verses. This is not a choose-wisely kind of passage. Paul is not laying out the options so that we make the right choice. Again, there's not a single command in this text. This is indicative, not imperative. This is descriptive, not prescriptive. Paul is telling us who we are, not telling us what to do. And if we are in Christ, if we do in fact have the Spirit, then we are not those who walk according to the flesh, and we are those who walk according to the Spirit. That's what he says in verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And and this changes the way we read verses 4 to 8. So for example, verse 6, he says, uh, there's a way that leads to death and a way that leads to life. But he's not saying, choose which way you'll go. What he is saying is this. Yes, there are people on the way that leads to death. But by God's grace, that's not you. And yes, there are people who are walking according to the flesh. But by God's grace, that's not you. And this changes how we read the paragraph, especially verses 7 and 8. So verse 7, Paul says that the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It wants nothing to do with God and his ways. And I've met people um, who are otherwise uh, decent and kind and conversational. But have you noticed that people shut down as soon as you talk about God? They become defensive, maybe even hostile. Of course, it's all passive-aggressive. We live in Connecticut. But have you noticed people don't want to talk about God? Why is that? Why do people hate talking about him? Well, if God exists, they know what that means. It means they answer to someone else. It means someone else has a right to tell them what to do and even what to think. And they hate that. They want to be the ones in charge. And so... They are hostile to God. But Paul says, that's not you if you're a Christian. You're not hostile to God. You don't feel threatened by him because you know that his rule is good. And he only ever uses his authority to serve those under his care. That's how authority was meant to be used. And you know that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Uh, Verse 7 also says that the mind that is set on the flesh does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. But again, that's not you if you're a Christian. You know that the law is good. 
Of course, it's good to love God and love others and put ourselves last. And you do submit to that law. Not perfectly, not impeccably, but you agree that this is a good way to live. And you are trying, aren't you? Paul assumes that if you're a Christian, that you're trying to keep God's law. You're in the fight against sin. So you're trying to honor your parents and control your anger and hold your tongue and speak the truth and and be content with what you have. You get what you get and you don't get upset. That was our motto for Christmas. But you're trying to be a blessing to others. You're trying to obey your Father in heaven. Verse 7 talks about the mind that is set on the flesh, a mind that does not submit to God's law. But that's not you if you're a Christian. And verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now that's an extraordinary thing to say, and I want us to sit on that for a minute. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Over the last few months, we have received an extraordinary amount of kindness from neighbors, uh, from friends, from people we've never met. We've received flowers and gift cards and care packages. Uh, People have shown up in all sorts of ways, and we have been blessed by the kindness of others. But as far as we know, uh, many of these people are not Christians. They don't belong to Jesus. They don't have a spirit. They're lovely people, but they are not in Christ. They are in the flesh. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's what Paul says in verse 8. So is Paul really saying that all that kindness is not pleasing to God? How do you square that? On the one hand, they did so much good. We were blessed by their kindness. But on the other, Paul says... They are not pleasing to God. How do you reconcile that? The only way I can make sense of this is by looking at my own heart. And I know that even my best actions, the ones I want people to remember, even my greatest acts of kindness are tainted with selfish motives. Somewhere in there, mixed in with the kindness, is a a desire to be noticed I want people to know how great I am. I really hope people are watching when I do that wonderful thing. I've also noticed, uh, to my great shame, that I am kinder to people who might be able to repay me. It's like buying an option. Maybe one day I'll cash in the favor. There's all the form of charity and kindness, but none of the substance. I want to be noticed, and I want to be owed. That's what I find in my heart. And I'm not sure I like what's there. So how can I expect the God who searches hearts to be pleased with what he finds? By all rights, he shouldn't be. And verse 8 is not all that surprising if you're willing to look at your heart. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The real surprise is that verse 8 does not apply to everyone. It only applies to those who are in the flesh. 
But verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. So that means verse 8 does not apply to you if you are a Christian. And just to be clear, this is not because Christians are great. We're just as bad as the people around us. I mean, if you want to meet a bunch of people who keep messing up, come to church, or at least come to our church. I won't speak for your church, but come to our church, and you'll see how not great Christians really are. But whatever is displeasing about us, God has charged that to Jesus' account. And whatever is pleasing about us, that all came from Jesus. We are not great. It's Jesus who is great. And that's the only reason we are pleasing to God. I love the last line of Psalm 119. It's the longest psalm in the Bible. It has 176 lines, and it gets a little repetitive. And he finds 175 ways to say, I love God's law, and your law is my delight. But after saying that 175 times, listen to how the psalm ends. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. That's how it ends. So yes, I love your law, but I still need you to come and find me. I am lost without my shepherd. That's the heart of Psalm 119. And that's the heart of the Christian, the one who has the spirit of Christ. You love God's law, but you fail to keep it. And by all rights, God should not be pleased. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. Wonderfully, Jesus always says yes to that prayer. He will find you and bring you back to God. And if you're in Christ, if you have Jesus as your shepherd, then God is proud of you. He speaks highly of you. And when he looks at you, he smiles. You are my beloved child. With you I am well pleased, he says. So keep fighting sin and stay in the fight because your father is smiling as he looks at you. Here's the third thing the Spirit says to encourage us in the fight. Have a look with me at verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, uh, please forgive me for speaking so plainly, but this body is on its way to death, on its way to a coffin. We are standing in line, waiting to be buried you may think you're at the back of that line, but that line has a way of surprising all of us. And we're all going to the same place. We're standing in line, waiting to be buried. And the sure sign of that is that we keep doing things that are deserving of death. And there will be days when it feels like you're not making any progress as a Christian you're struggling with the same old sins. You're still hurting the people you love. You're still failing to trust in God. You're still anxious about the same things. They're the same old sins. And even the ones you thought you killed, 
they keep coming back. Well, if that's you, welcome to the club. As we heard in Romans 7, this is the experience of every Christian, even the Apostle Paul. It's a battle to stay put because the world is just floating along with the current, but you're swimming against the tide, and just staying put is a victory of a kind. And I hope that encourages you. If you're not making progress, but you're still in the fight, then be encouraged. It's a sure sign that you have the spirit, the simple fact that you haven't given up. And I don't know what kind of week you've had, but the fact that you're here, that tells me you're still in the fight. And this is why you should not give up. Paul says that the battle will be over. This is not an endless fight. This is a fight that we will win. That's what he says in verse 11. The Spirit of God will give life to your mortal bodies, these bodies that sin and die. Everyone is standing in line, waiting to be buried. But for the Christian, that line does not end in a grave. That's not where our story ends, because it did not end there for Jesus. Christ is risen, Paul says, and that means you too will be raised if you are indeed a Christian. And on that day, you will be rid of this body, the body that caused Paul to cry out, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You will be rid of that body. And on that day, you will sin no more. Never again will I lose patience with my son. Never again will I say something I'll regret. Never again will I hurt the people I love. And isn't that a wonderful encouragement to stay in the fight. This is a fight that we will win. And lastly, we come to verses 12 to 17. And notice once again that Paul assumes that we are in the fight. If you look at verse 13, the language is violent and bloody and brutal. Those who have the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body. Uh, this is Hunger Games or Squid Games or Fortnite. Not that I played any of those things, but it's a fight to the death. It's kill or be killed. And Paul assumes that those who have the Spirit will be putting their sin to death. And guess what? If you're in a battle, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get bruised. And every Christian has bad days. We all stumble and fall and make mistakes but those bad days are a sign that the Spirit is in you. He's enlisted you in the fight against sin. That's why you're having bad days. So if you're saying sorry to God and please forgive me and help me in this fight, that means you have the Spirit. People have all sorts of funny ideas about what the Spirit does, but it's normal, everyday, unremarkable Christianity. And if you're in the fight against sin, even if you fall flat on your face, you are led by the Spirit. You have the Spirit of God. And verse 14 
If you are led by the Spirit, then you are sons of God. I'm always surprised by the logic of chapter 8. I mean, what would you say to someone who keeps messing up and never gets it right? That was Paul in chapter 7. So what would you say to someone like that? What's wrong with you? Try harder. You're fired. That's not what the Spirit says. The Spirit says you're a son. You're a daughter. You're a child of God and an heir with Christ. You have nothing to fear. So get back in the fight. We're about to share the Lord's Supper this morning. And in a sense, it's a dramatization of Romans chapter 8. And we come to the Lord's table and we know that we are not worthy. We've had a bad week. We've had a bad month. We are not worthy to be at this table. But the Spirit says, come. Eat this bread and drink this wine. Come and have a meal at this table. You are welcome here. You belong to the family. And this is your home. Paul says in verse 15 that we do not have the spirit of fear, but the spirit of adoption as sons. Now, my heart breaks um, every time I ask our youth group this question, and the question is, would your parents ever disown you? Their answers are a little disheartening. I know their parents. They would never disown their children. But if you're a child of God, you might get rebuked. You might even get disciplined. But you will never get disowned. We do not have the spirit to fear, but the spirit of adoption as sons. So as we close... How do you encourage a Christian in the fight against sin? What do you do when a Christian falls flat on his face? Well, this is what the Spirit does. He picks us up and puts us back on our feet. And he says, you're going to be okay. Now get back in the fight. And when we cry, Abba, Father, I am sorry. Please help me. This is how God responds. He says, I forgive you. I'm proud of you. I will finish what I started. You are my son. You are my daughter. Now get back in the fight. Now, as I've been saying all along, chapter 8 is only for those who belong to Christ, for those who have his spirits. These promises belong to the children of God and only to them. But here's the thing, anyone can become a child. This is the spirit of adoption, not the spirit of natural birth. That means anyone can become a child. And who doesn't want to hear from their father, you are my beloved child, with you I am well pleased. Well, come to Jesus, the perfect son, and you can have his place in the family and you can have it all for free. Let me close in a short prayer. Father, we thank you that our past will not count against us. Thank you that right now you are proud to call us children. 
And thank you that one day we will be perfect like your son. So give us strength for the fight. Help us to keep saying no to our sin and remind us that we do not fight in vain, that this is a fight we will win. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.